Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. There was a kid where I grew up who was never, he was from a different part of town, so he was involved in a different high school and middle school, and he, and, and he, grew up going to a different youth league program uh, than I did. So he was always on the teams that I would play against. And he was that kid. You know that kid. That one who thinks he's better than he is. The one who's obnoxious anytime he does something good. The one whose mom literally carried a cowbell to everything that he ever played and rung it the whole time. That kid. Now look, some of you guys are Mississippi State fans, and I get it, right? I know the cowbell's a great thing. I'm a Will Ferrell fan, so cowbell is a great thing, because I've got a fever, and the only cure is more cowbell. I get it, but when you're in youth league, and you're playing in a YMCA gym basketball, and there's a mom yelling the whole time, standing up and hitting people with her cowbell, it's over the top, right? Well, so I'm going to be really transparent this morning. I hated that kid. And more than the kid, I think I hated his mom. I did. I'm sorry to admit it. I'm just being honest with you. And every time I walked into the gym and I saw him warming up, I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be brutal. And it was every time. But this is how much hate can drive you. Every time, I mean literally every time I played the kid in whatever sport it was, my goal no longer became to be a part of my team and to do what was best for my team. My whole goal became to shame and dominate that kid. Period. So my focus, driven by hate, went from doing what was best for my team to I loathe you and hate you so much, I want to take that cowbell and shove it down your mom's throat, and I'm going to do that by embarrassing you on this court or on this field. (laughs) Is that bad? (laughs) I have a fever, and the only cure is to shove that cowbell. I think... A lot of times we are driven by emotions, and when we are driven by emotions, we get out of our game. We no longer become effective in the game that God has for us and the thing that he is wanting to play out in our lives. Today we're going to look at two men who are driven by two different emotions. One we've looked at for a while now because he is constantly driven by ambition, and the other one who is driven by hate. And we're going to see how these two stories collide together and how neither one of them accomplish the thing that God wants. So if you have your Bibles, we're continuing in the series on David, and neither one of these characters happen to be David today. We're looking at the final chapter of Abner and Joab. If you haven't been with us, let me just give you a quick brief update. Saul was the king of Israel. David was anointed to become the king of Israel because Saul had done things wrongly. And so God said, nope, Saul, you're no longer the king. 
or you're going to be the king for a little while, but really ultimately David's going to be the one that takes over. Well, Saul had a general named Abner. Very good. And David had a general named Joab. So you had Saul v. David, Abner v. Joab. Saul dies. Abner says, well, Saul's dead, so I'm going to take his son and make him king, and he's going to be a puppet king for me to really control power. So Abner is now really over part of Israel, while David and his band of merry men are over here, and they're over a different part of Israel, and it's a divided kingdom. So Abner with Ishbosheth, Saul's son, is kind of running this part, and David is running this part, and Joab is David's right-hand man. Y'all got that? The plot thickens. Because Abner and Joab have a beef now. Do you remember what that beef is? Why is Joab so mad at Abner? Yep, very good. Abner killed his brother. So Abner, who is over here, Saul's man, general, all this, and Joab, they were in a battle. Joab's brother, younger brother, gets killed by Abner. So now they're, they're mad at each other. The plot thickens. Abner realizes that there's no way he can prevent David from being king over everything, so he decides that he's going to change allegiances. So he's over here with Ishbosheth, Saul's son, and he's kind of helping run this kingdom, but he realizes that David's growing in strength and popularity and that God's anointed David for the job. So Abner decides, I'm going to leave Ishbosheth in the house of Benjamin, and I'm going to come over here and try to get everybody now to follow David. And that's where we pick up the story. And Abner, verse 17, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 3, 2 Samuel 3, we're going to look at verses 17 through 30. And Abner, this guy over here, conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been asking and been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. So Abner also spoke to Benjamin, and then Abner went to tell David at Hebron, which is where David's kingdom kind of was, all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. So Abner says, all right, look, guys, I know that you've been wanting David for a while, and we know that, that God's promised David the kingdom, so let's go all align ourselves with David now. And they were like, okay, good. And he said, but there's one more thing. There's this, there's this tribe of Benjamin now, why would he go separately to the, to the tribe of Benjamin? Anybody know? Because they were following, yes, they were following Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Benjamin was the lineage, was the tribe of Saul and Ishbosheth. So they were the lone holdouts still that were still following this puppet king over here. And Abner goes to them and says, Look, guys. You're the only ones left. If you want, if you want a, a, a combined kingdom and a safe place for yourself, then we need to follow David. So he politically maneuvers himself into getting all of this extra group of Israel that David didn't control to kind of come over to David's side. 
Now, politically speaking, that's a lot of leverage, right? I mean, think about it. David, I'm going to provide for you the second half of the kingdom that you don't have yet. I'm going to do it for you. Verse 20, when Abner came to, with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, this is important, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel. I will. I will arise. I will go. I will gather all of Israel to my Lord the King that they may make covenant with you, but remember that it's me doing this for you. And also that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Do you get that I will part? Now what's interesting about this is that when he was speaking to the leaders of the rest of Israel and the Benjamites, he was saying... Look, God has already ordained this. Who was in power when he was talking to his people? When he was talking to this other side of Israel that he ruled, he went and said, look, this is what God wants. But when he came to David, his tone changed. It was all about leverage. This is what God wants, but when he gets to David, he doesn't say, we know that God wants you to have all this, so here you go. This is God's doing for you. He says, no, David, look, look what I'm going to do for you. I got you. Let me help you. Abner is a politician to his core. He tells people what they need to hear to get them to do what he wants them to do. He is driven by pure ambition. He wants the people of Israel and the Benjamites, this, this group of, uh, of tribes over here, to come and connect with David and for it to be a united kingdom. He wants that because if he delivers it, what's it do for him? If he can deliver that to David, not rhetorical, what's it do for him? Exactly. He goes from the defeated side to the leader side, to the side that's growing in power and in, and in prestige, and it gives me a position of power in there, right? He's climbing the ladder. But David already has a first in command. He already has a general, and that general is Joab. And what does Joab think about Abner? The cowbell, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. He thinks, I'm going to kill that cowbell. So David sends him on, Abner goes to do his thing, and just as he sent on, we're told in verse 22, that Joab arrives from a raid and brings a bunch of spoil with him. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace. So when Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told to Joab. Now think about that for a second. Did David tell Joab that Abner was just here and I made a deal with him? No. Someone in David's court went to Joab, I'm, 
yeah, went to Joab and said, look, this is what just happened while you weren't here. What does that tell you about, what's that tell you about David? What's that tell you about his court? There was someone in there that, like Joab, didn't like Abner. And their motive was to expose what had just happened. So here's the point. There are all these competing motives. And everybody sees this whole situation from a different angle. You've got Abner driven by ambition, selfishness, power, greed, whatever. You have Joab over here, who we're about to find out, is driven by anger and frustration and hate. And then you got someone in David's royal court who's driven by some other, we don't know why, he's driven by some other motivation. And all of these competing motivations are colliding together. And David's sitting there going, okay, I just know that God told me I'm going to be king and all of this is going to come under me. But... I'm going to do whatever I can to try to manipulate that in the meantime. <laughs> Verse 23, when Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told to Joab, and Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he was let him go, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, what have you done? Now imagine speaking to a king like that. Uh, what have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you and to know you're going out and you're coming in, to know all that you are doing. So Joab is trying to manipulate David, isn't he? He's saying, look, this guy Abner, he's come to you. Don't you know his motivations are wrong? He's come not to, not to help you, but to spy on you. Now, here's the thing. Joab could have been driven by one of three things. He could have been driven by this idea that maybe Abner is spying. Maybe Abner's coming and I need to protect David from what Abner might do to him. That could be one of Joab's motivations. The other one could just be pure hate. And the third might be some combination of the three or the two. Well, and I guess there's a fourth one. It could be, I, I just, this just occurred to me, it could be that Joab's looking at Abner and he's like, he's older, he's more experienced, he might take my place in the kingdom. So there's all of these competing notions and motivations right in the mix and it's all coming to a head and colliding. And here's what's interesting, David doesn't answer. David doesn't say anything here. He doesn't agree with Joab. He doesn't defend Abner. He says absolutely nothing. Verse 26, when Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner. What, what's interesting is if you follow this phrase, sent messengers back and forth, all through this narrative, particularly this last few chapters, it's all about power play. It's all about someone exercising personal power to gain their desire. Do you get that? It's all about someone making a power play, a selfish power play to get what they desire. And so he sends this messenger because it's a power play and he's trying to gain some advantage. And they brought him back from the cistern at Sarah. But David did not know about this. 
And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak to him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach. Why did he strike him in the stomach? That's where he killed his brother. He struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. It was a blood feud. Now, I'm going to stop here to say that I understand if you were motivated by hate towards someone that killed your brother. So much so that even in Jewish culture at this time, there was blood vengeance that was allowed. So much so that we still see it going on in Israel today, right? You killed one of mine, I'm going to kill one of yours. You killed one of mine, I'm going to kill one of yours. You killed one of mine, I'm going to kill ten of yours. You killed ten of mine, I'm going to kill a hundred of yours. And it's been going on for centuries. But this idea of blood feud is baked into it. The problem is, is that war, you're not allowed to have a blood feud. If someone killed your family member during war, blood feud doesn't exist. That's not allowed. And so it goes from being blood feud, uh, feud to being all-out murder here. Abner, out of hate, motivated by hate, and probably motivated by fear, murders Abner. I mean, Joab, I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. Murders, Joab murders Abner. Joab murders Abner. It's no longer a blood feud, it's outright murder. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all of his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge or who is leprous or who holds a spindle or who falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner. Murdered is the word there because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle of Gibeon. End of story. Abner, motivated by ambition and power lust. Joab, motivated by hate and fear. Both of them end up in unenviable situations. One dead and one with a family that will never be the same. All because they were motivated no longer by the right thing. And I think that's the message for us. When we get so blinded by ambition, we get off track. When we are so motivated by hate, and this is a real one in our culture, when we are so motivated by hate and anger and we lash out and we talk about the other, whether it's a political other or someone from a different region or whether it's someone who thinks and acts differently than us, when we let hate drive us, we get off course. We start chasing cowbells instead of God and His will. And what I have found is that hate and fear are two of the strongest emotions and motivators that quickly lead us off the path. 
Who is it that you harbor hate for? Who is it that you get so frustrated at that you say things that you should never say about another human being of? Hate drives us into places we don't want to be. And quite frankly, Abner's murdered, but Joab ends up in a worse place, right? I mean, ambition left one dead, but the other one left, leaves a legacy of dysfunction and brokenness that doesn't just touch him, but touches his whole household from him onward. And it's an interesting list, and we don't have time to break down that list and what each one of them means, but it means that everyone's going to end up with some sort of disease or some sort of dysfunction where they can't, they can't function properly. It means that they're not going to be able to have children. And it means that they're going to go hungry. That's where hate leads us. Do you get that? And we need to be reminded of that in our country today. That hate for the other puts us in places that we don't want to be. It drives us off the course that God has for us. Hate ends up destroying not just us, but it radiates through our family and through the people we know. We know this, right? It's a colloquialism that hate hurts you more than it does the other. I mean, that just has become part of things that we say, but we say it so easily, and yet we don't live it out. Or I'll own it. I don't always live it out. That's not where we want to be. Ambition didn't get Abner what he wanted. Hate didn't get Joab what he wanted. Ultimately, the very things that they sought and that drove them and that they were motivated by end up disappearing. And here's the message, I think, overall. This is the message about the kingdom that God's setting up with David. And it's the same message about the kingdom that he's doing here even now. The invisible kingdom, not the geopolitical kingdom. God's will will be done. And you're either going to be a part of it or you're not. <laughs> the kingdom was not going to come by political ambition, nor was the kingdom going to come by hate and destruction. Neither one of those options was the way that David was going to receive the whole kingdom of Israel. Abner said, oh, I will deliver the goods, but couldn't. Joab said, I don't care about the goods. I'm going to, I'm going to take over, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make sure Abner and his ilk don't have any room in your kingdom. And it blows up in his face. And because of his actions, what Abner had tried to put in place didn't come about. So we finish this, this tragic story in the same place we started, a divided kingdom with Ishbosheth, a weak puppet king, and David over the other part. And the, and the kingdom's crumbling around them. And their enemies are growing stronger. All because of ambition 
and hate. We are not going to change this world through ambition and drive and power and politics. Do you hear that? We're not going to change this world by anger and frustration and hate, and I'm going to yell at you until you see my point, because that doesn't work either. God brings about His kingdom when we live in obedience to His will and we say, do your thing. I'm not going to try to politic it. I'm not going to try to hate it. I'm not going to try to do anything but let you do your work, and I'm going to follow you in it. That's how God's kingdom comes. I hate, I hated that cowbell. But every time I tried my hardest to show that that kid wasn't all that, every time I let my frustration and my hate play out on the court that day, I missed out on doing something great for the team. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.